guys, welcome to She Knows Arsenal. My name is Jessica and I'm your host and you can follow me on Twitter at It's Jessinio. We're back. We were here just an hour ago or so um, talking to Scott about all the numbers, crunching the numbers for the season. And that was an amazing show. So once you leave here, go ahead and watch that on replay. I highly suggest it. That was a really, really good show. And for this show, we're going to be kind of finishing up our squad building conversation. Last week, we did Keep or Sell, interactive show that went really, really well. And today we're going to be kind of talking about the transfers that we'd like to see come in. Some, you know, maybe transfers that we haven't thought about or names that haven't been suggested and, you know, that kind of thing. And also talking about some names that have been thrown around and whether or not those are realistic, what they can add to the team, all that kind of stuff, talking about the pros and cons of being outside of Europe. How can we use this to our advantage and all that good stuff. And of course, we'll get in the chat box and answer some of your questions. So feel free to to have your own conversations in there and uh, throw your questions our way because it's just going to be kind of like a all over the place type of conversation. But thank you guys so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. Liking, sharing, subscribing, all those great things. Um, you guys are awesome. You are amazing. So let me go ahead and bring in my panel. We have Kelly. Hey, how are you, Kelly? Very well. Thank you for having me back. Of course. We have Harry. All right. How's it going? Good. <laughs> and George. Hey, George, how are you? Good. How are you? Good, good. All right. So I think we should just kind of start off with how we're feeling after the end of the season. You know, it's uh, the day after and just I feel good. I feel good. I'm glad. Got that monkey off my back. I can relax. Get into, you know, uh, it was like LT Arsenal was talking about formations, looking at different places, seeing where they are, seeing if they're on their way to Emirates to sign a contract. I'm I'm here for all all of that, all of that. So, Kelly, how are you feeling after the season has ended? It, it, it's kind of one of those that we're pretty happy to see the back of it, but because we actually started playing well, you, you're kind of less happy. So it's like, a, it's like senior year of high school and you're like, man, I just want to go to college. I just want to get this done, get out of this. And then you start getting a little sentimental towards the end because you have a couple of good weeks. But um, I'm ready for what's next because I hope to never see the back of a season like that in my lifetime. And, and we have plenty of uh, impetus and plenty of motivation, hopefully, in the, the boardroom, the, the playing staff and the manager to, to do much, much better. And we'll see how we prep for that. But it's going to be something where it's almost the most entertaining summer, too, because we have the Euros crammed in here. Uh, we have regional tournaments. So it, it's good. it's still going to be a full summer um, as football fans. But for Arsenal, it's going to be um, – I'm not going to say make or break because we say that every single summer. And we, we, haven't, we haven't broken quite yet, and we haven't made since, like, 2005. So we'll see. All right. Harry, how are you feeling day after? Yeah, I feel good. Uh, I'm happy the season's over. Uh, I enjoyed being at the Emirates yesterday. I found that really like therapeutic. I think it put a good end to what's been a really, really horrible year following Arsenal. Um, and I'm I'm looking forward to the summer. I really am. I'm looking forward to seeing what Kroenke, Edu and Arteta have planned. I'm expecting big things. And I'm to go against the grain, I'm, I'm quite confident that the likes of Kroenke and Edu will deliver this summer because I think... They have no other choice but to invest heavily into the squad. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, but it's nice to have a few weeks off for sure. I agree with that. And, George, what do you think? How are you feeling? 
Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed kind of the end of that season in a, in a sense, oddly, because I've seen a lot of really good positive indicators that I look for um, really in terms of our summer. I think uh, what's not been noted is that we've already cleared 710000 a week off the wage bill officially before the summer has started. We've cleared three foreign spots as well. Um, so I don't see many barriers. And with Josh in town, I, I'm kind of very optimistic like Harry that we're going to see a big season as opposed to just a lot of uh, hearsay in, in the moment. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see where the team goes and where Mikel actually goes with his philosophy. Awesome. So let's kind of talk about, you know, before we actually get into specific transfers, let's talk a little bit about Adu and Arteta and the job that they have at hand, you know, coming into to the most important transfer window of Arsenal's history, like every summer. Um, but even more so this time, because we're outside of Europe, we could talk about the pros and cons of, of being outside of Europe. But, you know, with the Euros being this summer is that going to be problematic for us you know will we be priced out of certain deals or will it give us a chance to look at maybe some players that we haven't looked at you know harry what do you think about that nice and muted <laughs> sorry what i said something so good as well but i forgot what i said so i have to start again um i think it's going to be good for us i might be wrong but didn't we sign sanchez before the world cup started we did yeah and i think maybe Torreira or was that oh no that was jorian wasn't it Durian, but anyway yeah. sometimes you know you get these deals before done before they go for european football because you know then their value inflates but then in the same token sometimes you know a random player comes to mind and you realize ah oh, he could be a good investment i think it works works both ways for us but I'm pretty sure that the board have like three or four key players lined up already I'm convinced that someone like Bertrand is close I'm convinced that someone like Basuma is close I'm convinced that they're working hard on the Odegaard deal so maybe we can expect one or two surprises but I I'm confident that they've got all of the players uh kind of ready no not ready to sign for us but I think they know who they want to sign for us but they obviously have to push it over the line so it's a big task for Edu and Arteta as it always is but without repeating myself too much I think they've done pretty well in terms of signings and you know players leaving the squad so I'm confident. How confident are we that Edu is going to get this right? You know, I, I have my my suspicions, or not suspicions, but kind of like my, I'm not sure if you're going to be able to do it, buddy. I'm, I'm just not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure about you. You know, so I think this is a big one for him because you can probably put Thomas Party and Gabrielle into the good pile. And then you have somebody like Willian that happened kind of under his nose. Like that's something that he has to have on his CV. So Kelly, are you... Are you as positive as Harry and George that, you know, Arteta and Adu can get this this done? Because, I mean, if not, it's hell to pay. Um, I guess it, what becomes so confound, confounding about this is that we don't know where Adu's reign begins and, like, the, the last horrible regime ends and, and where Kia Jaropshian's influence starts and ends. So I think it's going to be instructive more than anything else. I think after this summer – we're going to know because it's going to be an Adu and Arteta summer. Those are the two powers of the club. Um, they both appear to have uh, Josh's ear, who has Stan's ear. So this is going to be the summer that probably tells us whether those two, I mean, uh, underexperienced, frankly, um, play, guys are going to be able to come in and make meaningful signings and make smart, maybe even less than meaningful signings because Thomas Party is just paying the release clause and William is taking an easy player that you have a relationship with. But if you can go kind of beyond 
the obvious choice and, and make good value signings for medium and long term. I mean, this this is the summer to do it because you you have limited games available, limited revenue available, but you are in a position where you have cleared out a lot of deadwood, so there's going to be squad space available. So I, I think my confident no, but my confidence is less on I think they're stupid and terrible and more that I haven't seen what they can do and I don't know what the things in the past they're responsible for and whatnot. So sample size scares me. I think that they're smart people, but I don't know if they're smart recruiters in tough times. And we'll we'll see that this summer. But no, I guess I'm not confident, but it's more of lack of sample size rather than I think they're idiots. Are we expecting Adu to bring in some like South American wonder kid? I mean, he doesn't, to my knowledge, have a lot of connections in in Europe, but his strong his his strong point is South America. Are we expecting somebody like that to come in or not really? Cause to me, I'm like, if we're not going to be using that, you know, I'm kind of expecting other Martinelli. That's essentially what I'm saying. George, what do you think? Are you expecting something like that? Well, I think there's actually two schools of thoughts. I think there's a little bit of dichotomy in the boardroom in itself, because I believe Edu um, has those links back at Corinthians and in, in the South American market. And you would think a person of his mind would want to go there for a recruitment. But I feel as though Arteta strikes me as somebody who's a little bit more of a preference towards homegrown or those within the league. And so I think you're going to see that dichotomy play out. And I don't know who wins that power vacuum. Uh, personally, if you're asking my opinion, I do have a tendency towards more adapted talent um, that I do trust and that I know who have played within the league or within leagues kind of here in Britain. So I tend to enjoy those a little bit more, but you can't discount the budget signings from abroad because of the new rules with Brexit. So this, those two markets, I think, are great talent pools to search. But ultimately, you just got to look at the profile of the player for me. If he fits what you're trying to do, that has to preside over where you get them from and really the price because ultimately you've got tons of $6 million buys that didn't make it and then you have your Martinelli's. So that was just good scouting, good uh, player analysis and fundamentally him adapting well was because of that. 100%. And I think one of the biggest thing that Adu just has to avoid is key interruption. I mean, 100%. The guy has to get away from the club, get rid of all his players. I mean, if we can get rid of Willian and David Luiz was a Kia client, wasn't he as well? Yeah. Um, so what, what would that leave Cedric? Is it for yep. Kia? So and William, um, I guess technically. <laughs> yeah. And if, if William could go. So I think to stand away from that guy, like 110%, I mean, he, wow, he did a number on us, didn't he? You know, so just staying away from that guy, but let's hope for the best and hopefully they can get the deals over the line and, and make some good signings. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Let's just say that, let's, you know, cause I have to be. I have to be. So let's get on to some of your some of your your choices or your your transfers in. So just to remind you guys that last week we did keep or sell. So we kept certain players, we sold certain players. And based on that, I asked the guys to come up with transfers that they'd like to see come into the club. And um, so we won't talk too much about numbers. We'll talk more about player profile and things like that and give the guys an opportunity to talk about their signings and why they chose them. So we're going to actually start with, um, we're going to start with Harry first. Let's see. These are Harry's picks. So Harry, let's talk a little bit about this. What were, what was your thought process on, uh, on these guys here? Got Bertrand in there, a trippier in there. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, so um, I actually changed uh, Bertrand for Alioski, but but anyway, oh. uh, I'll start with a uh, I'll start with Kieran Trippier. I think uh, we obviously need a right back. Um, I think there's a lot of talk about younger right backs who we can potentially sign. Um, you know, right backs from abroad as well. I'm really big on signing players that know the league. I think it just helps us. I think you know, it, there's the transitional period is so much easier, and. We have a set-piece coach expert, but we don't have a set-piece expert. And I think someone like Kieran Trippier would be a really, really solid right-back. I know he's not young, um, but I think that's a good thing. I think we're young in a lot of areas, and I think to have someone with a bit of experience at the back would be great. I think to have someone with the technical quality that he has would also be great. And to have someone who, you know came out of his comfort zone at Spurs to go abroad to challenge himself, I think that's you know shows real good signs of of quality and leadership and bravery. And I think that's what our, our defence is sometimes missing. So I've gone for Kieran Trippier. I don't think it's a likely signing, to be honest. You know, he's just won the Liga. Why would he come back to the Prem? But you never know. He might want to come back to England. And if so, I think that would be a really good signing. Um, Erdegaard, I like what I see. Have we seen it enough? Not really. But I think that's a bit more circumstantial with the way we've conceded some early goals sometimes. So we haven't been able to get him on the ball as much as we like. But he showed yesterday that he's you know got plenty of talent in the bag it's just about making sure we find him uh Basuma even though Granite Xhaka ran the show yesterday we still saw how good Basuma is uh he's so good on the ball he's so progressive he gets it back the pitch really really quick uh I know Bertrand's there but Alioski I know there's talk of him potentially going to Galatasaray but I think that deal is still um you know 50-50 I think Alioski is brilliant like, I think he's a really, really good player. Uh, more Curry, of kind of, that guy, that guy know, is always listen, in trouble, man. I know, but I know. He can't but I like be around it. Pepe at all. I know. No, but sometimes this happens, doesn't You know, players have some some history and then they end up playing with each other and, you know, they give each other a hug and a kiss and it's all good. They, they have the same car, they, have the, they like the same clothes and suddenly they're best friends. So I really like Adioski. Like, wonderful left foot. Scored some really important goals. Got a great engine. I think he would be a really, really good player. He reminds me a bit like of a uh, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst. I'm not sure if anyone <laughs> remembers him. But <laughs> left back, centre mid, left midfielder. That kind of that kind of player. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously Jack Grealish, incredible player. Uh, he's only on 120 grand a week at Aston Villa, so we could easily encourage him. And I think Arteta could sell sell the Arsenal project to Jack Grealish and say, listen, Jack, you can come here and you will be our main man. We can build this team around you. You can help us go all the way to the top. So that is my, they're my incomings. Oh, and one more. I just want to throw this out there quickly. So obviously Eddie and Ketia is hopefully going to leave in the summer. If we could, I would offer Eddie and Ketia to Leeds and offer some money down for Patrick Bamford. Because I think Patrick Bamford is a really, really, really good player. And I think he's terribly underrated. Why are you covering your eyes, Jess? Are you tired? No. <laughs> you Here, he's, he seems very Arteta y, doesn't he? Like a versatile, he technical player who One second, no, scores a lot of different goals. Jess, just what, what, what are all these hands moving about? No it's leads like players. It, no leads It's almost players. like you're Look, dismissing, dismissing. You take these guys out of that system and they become regular. I just, I don't believe the leads thing. I think it's the system. I think they're all pretty freaking average including Bamford um I, we were on the terrace the other day or like yesterday and they were talking about putting Bamford in the the team of the season and I almost 
had a heart attack. So, um, yeah, no. I mean, first you gave me the Alioski thing. Now you're giving me the Bamford thing. Sorry. Um, yeah, continue. Bamford came to me late last night. Just before I drifted off, I just was like, oh. Patrick Bamford, he's a good player. I just really like it. I, I like his energy. Um, I think he's deceptively fast. I think his hold-up play is good. I think he's obviously, you know, a, a quite a good finisher. 17 goals in 38 games, seven assists, in, you know, back in his first season in the Premier League. There are some really strong numbers. I get it could be system-related, but I don't see why, you know, why he couldn't come to Arsenal and do a really good job. Um, so, yeah, they are my sign-ins. No more Leeds players, you'll be happy to know. So, does anybody have thoughts on Harry's picks, you know, somebody that's, that likes Leeds play. I can't do the Leeds thing, but give me, give me some more about the Bamford thing. Maybe there's legs to it. George, you, you were nodding your head as if you agreed. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I like the profile more so than I guess the actual player. I think what, what we have right now in the striker in our department, I think we have runners right now. And, and I understand that we've got Lacazette, but I'm really ready to move on from that uh, from him at this point. And if you're looking at, a cheap deal within the league, one year left to fill that plan B option of making the ball stick and linking play for wing forwards, then Bamford, you can't not knock that type of profile or even that signing at that price. Cause I feel at one year left, he would be very cheap. He would be something that, you know, you could absolutely use within the squad and again, offered a plan B. So uh, I, I didn't shrink at that one. Alioski, I did. I'm not a huge fan of Alioski, but no, Bamford, I think um, he, he serves the purpose of a backup. If you're looking for somebody who isn't going to demand a consistent starting spot, but offers a plan B, uh, knows the league and will do that profile or that job. I don't know if there's any better in the league. Hmm. I like that. I like that. But you definitely went left with that, Harry. I mean, you did. For me, you went left. I was looking at that like, okay. But George, sorry, to, to go back to Adioski, do you not like the player or the or or the person? The the player. I mean, the 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 person. I'm not terribly a fan of. But um, I don't like the person. More so the player. Okay. I'm more worried about the qualities on the pitch. To be honest with you, <laughs> I think uh, Pepe and him could hug it out for sure. <laughs> I think if you're looking for somebody who can play in a flexible system, he would work. Most Leeds players will work in that um, in that way in terms of flexibility. But, man, I just have this theory <laughs> that if you take them out of that system and you put them in, like, at, on Chelsea or something like that, they would fall apart. Like, what about the counter-press? To yes, system. too. I mean, they, they're, they're, they're in line with knowing how to play that counter-press system when you're leading from the front. So if Arteta wants to build on what we've done in the last couple of games, in philosophy, I see it. I don't know if I'm doing it for my plan A, but I, I see it. Alioski is not technically secure enough to play. I mean, he, he basically is a left side. He does on the left side, maybe more athletically and even less technically than what Bellerin does on the right. And we saw what direction that went. And we were playing a six foot, 290 pound center back as a right back for, because of his technical security and his bill his willingness and ability to do what he's told. And I don't think Alioski is kind of a break and sprint player who breaks out of things and plays an awful lot in the high left channel and does an awful lot of sprinting. And and he sprints backwards, but he's usually at the end line when he turns and tries to recover his defensive position. So um, I think he's an intriguing player, but he's, he's maybe a little bit too much of a maverick for Arteta. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, I mean, oof. Alioski, that guy, he just irritates the crap out of me. But I want to talk, kind of talk about this really quick because AK Gunner is saying, and a lot of people had said that Bamford misses a lot of chances. Now, I just want to dispel this myth that 
good strikers don't miss chances. They do. They actually miss more chances than other strikers. The best strikers miss the most chances. Mo Salah misses more chances than anybody else, but he has the most goals because they create more chances than we do. You know, you're going to miss more than you make. If you made every single chance that you got, it's probably because you don't create a lot of chances. That's really how it is. So Bamford missing a lot of chances oh. and still scoring a lot of goals Bam doesn't mean Bam that he's not clinical. Yeah, so for the stats on that too, Bamford had a 19.3 XG and he scored 17 goals. So he slightly underperformed his XG this year. Yeah, so, you know, that's just kind of how I think about it. If they miss a lot of chances, it's probably because they just – I mean, Leeds creates chances like crazy. So he's going to miss more than he makes, you know, but he's he's all right. I mean, he's all right. We can talk about if we have a striker issue later, you know, but I'm not sure if it's about Bamford. But you guys let us know in the chat box what you think. Let us know if I'm, if I'm wrong, if you like Harry's picks, if you don't, all that good stuff. Let's move on to Kelly's. Um, Kelly, these are your picks. Um, I think... You had Basuma in there as well. You can talk about adding him in, but I only wanted to give you five because yours is almost unfair. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, I basically, I took it on assuming that we're going to have a little bit more of a medium term project here. So I tried to focus aside of outside of Van Anholt on players who are young, have a lot of upside and, and represent some kind of um, um, fight. We're buying them a year or two early before they pop and become 40 and 50 million pound players. Although I do think it's unavoidable. And, and when I was looking at my pricing and everything, I kind of adjusted for uh, like a Premier League and Arsenal premium here. So uh, first one for right back, I had Nori McKaylee, um, who's the right back, right center back, right wing back, do everything player for um, Red Bull um, Leipzig. So he's a player that um, he's really, really big and strong and fast, but he's incredibly tactical. Um, and he's very tactically secure. He's not the greatest going forward yet as far as being offensive on the goal. Um, but I certainly think he can do physically and technically a lot of the stuff that Callum Chambers does now. But he can do it a lot faster. And he has an awful lot more upside. He's only 23 years old. He'll turn 24 at the beginning of next year. So you are getting somebody who plays a lot in a lot of different positions um, for a really maybe not a similar manager um, and Nagelsmann, but somebody who requires an awful lot of tactical flexibility um, and requires a lot of shuffling of positions, different starters and everything. So uh, I'm just really high on him. And, and if you watch him in the Champions League, even as a sub, he's a, he's a really, really high quality player on that right-hand side who can do a little bit of everything, which I know that Arteta values. Um, the, the next one at central midfield. So this is, I kind of cheated by having six players by spending my cash a little bit more um, judiciously, but I also don't have any huge automatic signings, which you'll see when you put up my lineup. Uh, but Ryan Grevenberch is somebody who I, is a pet player for me. He's an enormous man where he's like that kind of six foot four legs for days, huge sprinty athlete um, who's come up uh, in the uh, IX Academy. And he's somebody that both aesthetically and just technically jumps off the page when you watch, if you ever have to suffer through any sort of IX games that are not in European competition, it, it looks like he's playing amongst boys, but he's a boy um, at 19 years old. He's going to be, I think he just turned 19 years old, in fact, like last week. So he's a really, really high potential, high talent player that that has the the legs and the technical capacity to be a an elite, not just a good, but an elite Premier League midfielder in the next couple of years. Um so those are my two largest spends because I know that they're both going to come with some pretty serious premiums. Um, for left back, I, this is just completely, it, we're the same deal, right? So we're, we're plugging in left back with a veteran 
of the Premier League who has a lot of experience here. For me, it's Patrick Van Anholt. A couple of years ago, he was a guy who was actually making decisive contributions in the final third, um, striking the ball really well. Um, his production has tailed off as he's aged a little bit, but I think he is a guy that's already settled in London. Um, he still figures kind of in and out for the Dutch national team. And he's a guy who's only 30. So he's uh, younger and will likely come cheaper um, and probably even on a shorter deal than like Ryan Bertrand would. So he's somebody that I think might be an interesting player on the left-hand side. If we're looking for somebody who's a, a little bit younger, uh, maybe has a little bit more left in the tank and, and is somebody that's also going to be available on a free. Um, so also uh, one of this kind of stats and stat nerd guys that I wanted to pick up here, and I will give credit to uh, uh, Christian. So Siloff um, from my podcast um, has always been big for the last year or so on uh, Michael Elise. So he plays for Reading in the championship. He's 19 years old, um, had seven goals and 12 assists on 44 appearances for uh, Reading this year. Um, he plays for the, I think, U23 French national team. So he's a guy who, but is born in the UK. So I believe that he would count as a home, like a home player or a homegrown player still. Um, but Elise is a really, really dynamic. He kind of reminds you of Eze when he plays. So he's really quick. And, and clean, and he's making an awful lot of contributions in the final third in the championship at a really, really young age in a really physical league. So um, all, all the markers are there of somebody who's going to kind of make the jump, and, and I would rather he make the jump here or maybe come into our club, um, go out at loan, kind of like Harvey Elliott's done for Liverpool, and um, have, have a player that we can get back and, and kind of go from there. Uh, my final one is going to be, it's a little bit of an American guy pick here with Daryl DK. So he's another guy that's... Um, performing incredibly well in the championship, actually on loan from an MLS team, but it looks like he's going to be at Barnsley probably permanently now um, going into next year. So he's a guy who basically is like six foot two, about 200 pounds, can run. He's in, he's a nice hold-up player. He has developing technical quality, and he can just smash a shot. So if we're looking at a, at a counterbalance and some sort of future player that can play a different style of center forward, it has an awful lot of physical upside. Um, who's really shown well in the last uh, his last half a year in the championship. I think he's a guy that would come at a sensible fee. He'd want to be here. And, and again, another guy that's maybe kind of a stash and uh, a stash and grab later on. But um, those are my players. Again, I'm, I'm taking a, a lot of home run cuts on some kind of players deeper down the deeper down the channel. But um, these are guys, I think this is a team of players in the recruitment cycle that with something like that, we could be looking awfully smart in the next two to three seasons. Muted, yes. <laughs> we need yeah, like a ticker or something. We need to, to have one. We need to to <laughs> I was saying something so good too, but now I forgot. <laughs> but um, I like Raymond Birch a lot. Um, I think he's a really good player. He's one. He's going to be one of those all-around type players. He's technically good, athletic as well, really tall and young. You know, so and he could play in multiple positions. One time I saw him play winger, and then they put him in like left center mid. I was like, the kid's going to be so good. I don't know why we don't recruit in the Dutch league. I don't get it. When we were linked to, I think it was like um, Orkin Kochu, I thought that would have been a a really good signing. You know, I know he was young, but he's somebody that we could, you know, develop and, and bring up. And he reminded me of Santi. But we don't look in the Dutch league or the German league. <laughs> Those are two leagues that we just completely just don't look at like whatsoever. And that kind of irritates me a little bit, but those are really, really good, um, good picks. You know, George, what did you think of, um, of Kelly's picks? Phenomenal. We share a very similar philosophy of like technical, but athletic players. I'm tired of seeing us being outrun fundamentally. So 
just like with my picks, uh, hopefully we'll see a little later, is that I love the the speed of those players that you mentioned. Olise, everyone who knows me on Twitter, I love uh, Michael Olise. He's amazing. He really reminds me of a homegrown version of Nkunku, actually, where you have this versatile, leggy player mm. that, um, you know, left-footed, that can run big distances, but as well be very technical in tight spaces, so versatile. The only thing is I, I don't know, would he stunt ESR's development? Um, we're talking about players in similar positions with a similar age. I don't know if he'd settle for being a backup. But, I mean, in terms of a profile, you don't get much better. I love Michael Olise. Um, another one, Gravenberg. I love love this kid as well. He's he's unbelievable. The, the only issue I have is I really see a Joe Willock in him as well. Um, we've got a player at home who's just scored eight goals in 14 games, seven in his last seven, a large technical ball progressor who's versatile and cough cough is best as a free eight um, in a three, just like Mr. Gravenberg. So um, I love those picks. Those are probably my two top two from your list, Kelly. I, I think they're phenomenal and they're right along the lines. Nordy Mukieli is another one I've highlighted in the past, really defensively strong, um, can do a little bit better appreciating um, spaces, really, going in and out and out to in uh, further up the pitch. But if you're looking for a one-on-one dual monster, like a good Lauren-type um, mm-hmm. player, you know, who's maybe not quite as technical but has that defensive competency, that's the kind of fullback you're getting, and you're getting an athlete. And, and the idea, too, is that these are all going to be clubs that are going to be willing and able to sell probably, too. So mm-hmm. it, you're going to be able to come over the top of them and without having to double their wage. Um, without having to break your wage structure, you're going in for these high potential guys. And and so I would try to consider that too. So when you go into some of these other leagues, you're going to the championship, you're not going to have to put these kind of backup or not guaranteed first string players on, on six figures a week, which I think is really important for us um, going into a period of a little bit of austerity here. So um, yeah, but again, I, these are the kind of picks that can bust really bad too. So um, I mean, Jack Grealish is guaranteed. He's going to be a superstar for you for five years, and uh, maybe not Nordy McGaley, but here, here we are. So we are at this position. I like the risk. I like the risk. I think sometimes it's just sometimes you got to risk it. And some of these players, it's what do you guys think about like kind of the idea of being the step before the really big step? You know, because in order for us to be able to bring in some of these players, you know, like your Graven Birch or whatever, maybe we would be able to sell to them that we're the step before the big step. I know. We've always viewed ourselves as that club that's the last, you know, your last place, you know, but we could, you know, Salzburg had those players. They had Mukele. I'm not sure if they had Mukele, but I know that they had Upamecano and Kanate before Leipzig. What if we became like a Leipzig? I know a lot of fans wouldn't love it, but would you guys kind of turn your nose up of being the development club before they make their I think their we, should big buy, we should just buy a wheel and then we'll have to, we'll have to pay for those guys. We'll just, it'll be just account, an accounting thing whenever we go and take their one or two best players every season. Let's just do that. I mean, hey, why don't we just get Luis Campos or whatever, just get the the sporting director or whatever. Just He's looking. He's <laughs> looking for a job. <laughs> Man, I, I mean, go ahead. Who's going to Yeah, I think it's hard because we looked at the league table yesterday and we saw that we were six points off potentially making top four. And then we look at what's missing in our team. And for me, what's missing is experience, and leadership, um, not so much technical quality, because I think, you know, a lot of our players, ha- you know, have the technical ability, but we're just missing that, you know, that know-how, that nous, the understanding of the league, the understanding that you have to be at it when you're playing Burnley away as much as you do when you're playing Chelsea at home. And personally, I, I just feel like 
being a stepping stone is great. And listen, if we can get these players and they pay great for a couple of years, we flip them, we double our money or whatever we do, you know, um, that's amazing. But I just think with Arsenal, where we are now is we don't need any more any more risks. We don't need any more gambles. We don't need any mm. more. This player could be good in five, six years. We've had that for years. And what we see now is when you have players like Saka in ESR and Martinelli, who are all wonderful, they're still all inconsistent. Their outputs still aren't good enough to fire you into those top four positions. So I think what will make us challenges next year, and by challenges, I mean top four, and, and, and who knows, hopefully, you know, above that, is signing some really good, experienced players. Of course, we can go and get we can go and get younger players, you know, from abroad. But as we've seen with Party and Gabriel, like you know, players w- with plenty of minutes un- under their belt, they've come to the Premier League and they've still struggled because it's a new it's a new environment. It's a really really tough league. So um, I think it's really really hard because we need to get the balance of signing players for the future, but also signing players who are ready now. So when they go to Burnley away and Chris Wood is backing into him, they know how to deal with it, you know? And when they play Aston Villa and John McGinn and Douglas Louise are really getting into him, they know exactly how to cope with that. And I feel like just having players who are based in the UK or understand the league just give us a, a greater chance of improving. But listen, if we sign all of those players, then I'll be more than happy because they're obviously all great players. I think Van Arnhal is a really good shout as well. I think it's a really good, realistic shout as a left-back. I feel like he'd be more content as a backup left-back. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I think Leicester are obviously in the lookout for a left-back, so I feel like it will be Bertrand or Van Arnhal to, to one of those. I think Leicester could obviously offer more minutes as they're a bit short in that area. But I do like Van Arnhal. He hasn't played a lot recently, has he? But... He, um, a couple of years ago, he was, you know, playing really well for Palace. So I think that'd be actually a good bit of business. I'd prefer him over Bertrand, actually. I would. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Bertrand is just the most obvious one, but I'm sure we can look at some other things and maybe come up with another solution. But um, we have a super chat here from uh, New Dawn Games. Thank you for your super chat. And um, he asked, what's a sensible time frame for completing signings? You know, um, when do we expect these signings to get done? Um, with the Euros coming, we can't have, I think one of the biggest mistakes was Thomas Party coming in when the season had already started. I think when you do that, you you take away their adapt, their adaptation time. It kind of throws it out of balance. And I would like for players to come in and have some time in preseason, but then you have the Euros. So what do you guys think about it? I'll go to George first. Yeah, I expect us to do early business. Um, I, I'd expect a center mid, um, a right back, and that backup left back to be done quite early. Um, and then I believe that number 10 or that creative left wing superstar, if we do, um, is that Euros. And you know what? I think it's a little bit backed up in some of the quotes that we've heard with Arteta recently, where he did quote the Euros as being, you know, uh, maybe not feasible to get all our signings in early, where he has said, look, I fundamentally want my signings in early. I want a good preseason. But also we have the Euros coming and there might be, you know, something that holds up a deal there. So in my mind, you do your larger business um, early um, and you save maybe your one big superstar that, you know, hopefully cough, cough is Grealish, who's homegrown and at the, the Euros, if that's your your way to go. Um, that's OK to leave a little bit late because he's in the league. Um, you know, he's homegrown. He knows it. So I, I'm not too worried if he was the one to come in late. But um, those other ones, I think we certainly have the, um, the capability to do. Um, and also we have three foreign spots open. So there's no reason that we can't get those three if they were foreign players um, to come in early. Early. So that, that's how I see it. Three and early, and then one maybe later um, if he's your superstar. I expect Basuma done by next week. 
<laughs> I saw Pepe talking him up, telling him where his uh, family box is going to be at. You know, this is where we do this. This is where we do that. You're going to park over there. That's the parking structure right there. So, yeah. He's just crashing on Pepe's couch, right? I just <laughs> yeah, assume he's just going to be just be hanging out there until his agent comes into town. Exactly. So, um, hope that was a, a sufficient answer for you, Joe. Um, thank you so much for your super chat. Um, so, let's go ahead and get into Georgia's picks. So, here we go. George, yeah. talk us through this. So, um, yeah, so these picks, really, the biggest thing that you're going to see with this group is that they're all um, ball progressors. They're all elite over the first five yards, um, and they all contribute in every single third of the pitch in some way of really progressing with the ball on the dribble. So uh, we'll go down below. Anybody who knows me knows I'm a massive Bubakari Samari fan. Um, I believe this player has the potential to be probably the best modern six in the game. Um, he is a very versatile player, a very common type player to Basuma, but has the added ability in my eyes of being better off the ball and running back to goal. Um, he's also six foot plus from Lille. We have a great relationship there. Um, again, also I believe in the last year of his contract, so it would not come at a very high fee. Um, quoted really closely to Leicester, um, but I believe with them dropping out of Europe, which um, or not Europe rather, but the Champions League, which I kind of predicted that they would, um, it stands us in good stead to kind of compete for this player. I think he would be a phenomenal central anchor to Partey and would push him to go farther up the pitch. Um, moving on, you've got Hakan Kalinoglu. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but he's a free signing. And for me, um, I, I needed an attacking midfielder, um, but I didn't really feel comfortable in any of the attacking midfield signings um, to get all the other players in addition to who I wanted. So I look at this as one of those sensible signings as a backup who's a set piece specialist um, on a free and could absolutely come in and do a job for us and backup and kind of give share minutes with Emil Smith Rowe. Um, and then moving up to the top right, we've got Rydal Baku, another one of my favorite players who's another U23, plays for Wolfsburg. Phenomenal young right back. Um, we're talking about a player here who is so versatile, can play inverted or as an outlet out wide. And so you're not kind of stuck to a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1 here with any of these players. Um, and, and he is exactly the type of player that we should be looking at uh, to, to move forward the age profile. Ryan Bertrand, I'm sorry, guys, I'm a fan. I think it's a very sensible signing. It's a signing that allows us to spend more um, in other areas of the pitch while also getting a homegrown proven option in the league to cover for Kieran if he does get injured. Now, the only thing I would say with this is I would pair this with another one of my picks, Thierry Small, who also is very young, and he's only 17 years of age, but that way you have a succession plan for the backup left backs, and you could actually send Thierry on loan while Bertrand comes in the league and plays a role for us, and that way you have a succession plan. And finally, you got Grealish. He's my superstar. I really think what this team is missing is really a superstar. Whose team is this? If you think back to some of the old teams that we've had, we've had, you know, Alexis Ozil, we've had Ramsey, we've had Van Persie. I don't see this team having a superstar and I need a leader. And so for me, Jack Grealish is the standout player. For me, every other team in the league doesn't need necessarily a Jack Grealish. I think in, in Arsenal, he has a spot to be the main man. It's London. He would come and he would absolutely sell on the project of being kind of bringing us back to the top. So Again, just to tie up, these are players that, you know, are versatile. They don't um, stick to a specific system. They can play 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. They're all ball, ball progressors, and they're uh, it's very good between the thirds. So, yeah, that's kind of my little summary and my picks. Also, I, I like think it. I uh, saved 20, 20 million pounds, so Josh will love me. I didn't spend all my budget. 
<laughs> I love it so he could shove that right in his pocket. Just like, <laughs> that guy, that guy. But yeah, um, good picks, good picks. Um, there's a lot of um, Jack Grealish is not realistic in the comment section, which I know was going to come up. But do we want to kind of, I think we should have the conversation. I really, really Probably, do. Because yeah. the idea that Jack Grealish would never come to Arsenal is the same thing that people were saying about Thomas Party wouldn't come to Arsenal. They will come to Arsenal. You know why? Because we got the peas. We have the peas. I'm telling you, if we can spend, if we can give them more. And I think what George said was really important too about having a spot for, for this player. Where is he going to play at Manchester United? Who is he going to start over Rashford? No, he's not. Is he going to start over Raheem Sterling at Man City when they're just about to give him a new contract? No. I mean, did Chelsea need him? Probably not. You know, so I don't really see where else he he would go. And Jack really strikes me as needs to be, as you said, the man. And this we would be a nice step up for him for somebody who's always been a big fish in a small pond. So and we are looking for kind of like a, a focal point. You know, Kelly, what do you think about Jack Grealish and if, if it's realistic for us to get somebody like that. Grealish feels like a very bizarre signing of opportunity in the same way that Aubameyang when he came here, right? So Aubameyang, when he came here, was, um, I mean, still a premier center forward who had, had been thrown a little bit of a strop at Dortmund knowing he was not going to get a contract. But that seemed like one that didn't make a whole lot of sense because we had just signed Lacazette the previous summer, and it was a signing of opportunity. There wasn't any other landing spot for him at a major club where he could make huge money, have a massive stage, and be the guy. And that's why Aubameyang is here, and that's why he's still here. Um, it's not because of any specific affinity for the club or this big history that Grealish has. I, mean, I don't think was I don't think Grealish has a huge affinity for Arsenal, but he's certainly a, a guy who's worked up the leagues, and he went from being kind of like a a temperamental bust and kind of almost like a joke figure with his haircut and his low socks and his short shorts and everything. And he kind of transformed himself for being kind of a, 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 a failed or failure to launch English young talent to a guy who's, who's well-respected in Europe and, and one of somebody who is considered a superstar in the league. But when you go down, like it's very easy for us to talk ourselves into this because there isn't a proper landing spot for him anywhere else in the premier league. And with his age profile and with the age profile of our current attacking options and the fact that we still have a lot of money that we don't spend it very well, but we have a lot of money that you kind of, if he wants to stay domestically and you're kind of clanking down the table, we don't have a $2 billion stadium we're trying to pay for without champions league money. Now we don't have, um, we, we don't, we haven't spent huge on, on other wide forwards like Chelsea have like, Again, City. He's not a. I don't. He doesn't strike me as a City player. Is is he going to go and start twenty games in the season for City and, and be rotating in and out? If he comes here, he's going to play all the time. He's. It's going to be his team. It's going to be his name and face on the program, and the players that we have existing are going to move to suit him, and we will pay him as much, if not more, than any other team is going to in, in England. So, it feels like. We are the dumb money, and this seems like a dumb money move to have a signing of opportunity and just splash out $80 million for Grealish out of nowhere, just like we did for Pepe when you, you wake up and you look at your phone and say, what? Really? Like, And then when, when Ornstein tweeted the Pepe thing, it's like, what? where the hell did this come from? Exactly. It's, it seems like one of those things that Arsenal would do for, for both positive and negative. It's, it seems like something that we might do when a signing of opportunity presents itself to us. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, you know what? I, I think I'll just we can build on kind of the argument here because really this this idea that Arsenal cannot sign Champions League players is honestly a myth to me. We've brought in Aubameyang, Kieran Tierney, Nicolas Pepe, um, Gabriel, and Thomas Partey. Um, that's just off the top of my head. And those are players that certainly are Champions League quality and actually had competition for Champions League quality. If you want to look at pure numbers, he's quoted at 80 million pounds. Our record signing is 72 million pounds. This idea that he's out there in terms of our budget is completely factually false. He's on 120 uh, grand a week. We offer currently our highest paid payer 250 grand a week, um, I believe, right? I don't think Aubameyang's at the 300, but we've shown a capability to hit that far. So this idea that we can't, when also, by the way, we've shaved 710 grand a week off the wage bill officially without having sold anybody, we have done that. Um, Feasibility-wise, I really don't get the arguments against. In terms of not saying Arsenal are a big club anymore, come on, like it's this is this is a little bit facetious in my mind. Um, Arsenal are one of the biggest clubs in the world, potentially top three in global brands. This idea that you can sell him a project of bringing Arsenal back to the top, who by the way don't need very much with Grealish on top. If we're six points off top four and you add a Grealish. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know where you think that those six points can't come to bridge the gap with a Grealish. So in terms of project ambition, we have probably the third youngest squad in the league, also worth mentioning. Our average age is 24.6. If you do add us shaving some of the older heads, which we have in Louise, our actual squad age becomes younger, not older. This myth that we're an old squad is actually not true. We're actually quite young. And so we do need that bit of experience. So I mean, when you look at all of the facets, I can't tell you and promise you that we're going to do it. But in a time where owners are rife with a really bad relationship, a Jack Grealish signing ties the bend. It, it heals the wounds. And in a sense, when you combine it with some of the other signings that, uh, you know, kind of we've suggested that are a little bit cheaper, a Jack Grealish type is the perfect way for Josh to announce, listen, I heard you. And so uh, I see many reasons feasibility wise in terms of us getting it done. Who knows? We need that crystal ball, magic eight ball. So I, I don't have that, but it's feasible in my mind. Not to mention he's BFFs with Bukayo Saka. I yep. mean, that has mm. to count for something, <laughs> you know, just get rid of William and give him William's wages. I mean, come on now. <laughs> but um, yeah, again, we're not saying that it's going to happen or anything like that, but I just get kind of tired of hearing the excuses about why or why would he come to Arsenal? There's tons of reasons why he would come to Arsenal. And there's a lot of clubs and clubs, managers, players that still believe that Arsenal are a big club or just a sleeping giant. And we need that that star player because Aubameyang is just he's not going to be that guy for us. We need a talisman on the pitch. You know, he's a captain like person. So I think he would fit in actually perfect whether we could get it done or not. I'm not sure. But I'll tell you right now, if Jack Grealish with his headband and his socks down low came to Arsenal, I would be ecstatic. All and right? Jess, one, one last thing. Um, you know, what happened a couple of years ago with Chelsea who were outside of the Champions League? If everybody remembers, I'm sorry, uh, money talks. And when they were outside of the Champions League and they were sitting down around 10th, they had a huge summer when they got your Contes and whatnot. So in terms of feasibility... It's all a matter of us thinking, will the Kronos say yes? Will they give you the green light? In terms of if a player will come to a team that doesn't have Champions League or Europe, we've seen examples in the past. There's tons of precedent. Whether we do it or not, that's a different story for sure. I hear you on it, but it's in the realm. Would you take Buendia at 40 or Grealish at 80? Grealish at 80. Either. 
Yeah, listen, I, I think Grealish is is a game changer and we've seen yeah. how much Aston Villa has struggled without him. You know, they don't beat Chelsea on the weekend without Grealish. Aspilicueta doesn't get sent off without Grealish. He's a nuisance. Opposition players hate him because he does one thing that not enough players do, which is run directly at defenders repeatedly. He takes them on every single time and he's got that that finesse in, in his delivery as well. You know, there's, there's there's Beckham vibes when he crosses it, when he shoots. So he can do everything. Uh, absolute game changer, a poster boy of a sign-in. I think we could 100% sign him. I think our problem is that I believe he could play for any club in world football, anyone. Barcelona, Madrid, Bayern Munich. I, I said this about six months ago. I, I think his seeding is ridiculously high. Uh, so I think that's a problem that we potentially face. But out of all the Premier League clubs, I think we stand a good chance of signing him because I don't mind other fa- opposing fans saying, well, why would he come to Arsenal? But find it a little bit uncomfortable when our own fans say that. You know, we should certainly back our club as a name. Um, I don't think we are uh, a big club in terms of what we've done recently, but in terms of name and brand, we're huge. And that can't ever be underestimated. We're absolutely massive. So I think Grealish would come to Arsenal and I would love to see his long hair running down the left wing. I would love that. Love I would that. love it. Socks uh, down. We, we've, lost, <laughs> we've lost David Luiz, which is a lot of hair. We're going to lose William, which is a lot of hair. Good doozy. with a lot of hair. So we're losing a lot of hair here. So we need to get some long hair back in the team. I'm all about the hair. So let's I love get, it. get Jack Grealish in. That's a wonderful argument. I love that. So, you guys, that's, those are our reasonings. Take it or leave it. But let's just go over your guys' 11s really quick. And in the chat box, I want you guys to vote and say which 11 you'd prefer. Um, we'll see who's the DOF, the real director of football here, who's going to replace um, good old Edu. So let's go with Kelly. This is Kelly's 11. So he chose Leno, Mukele, Saliba, Gabrielle, Tierney, Thomas, Basuma, Saka, ESR, Pepe, and Aubameyang. But you have who on the bench? <laughs> uh basically everybody i signed i have on the bench which makes which makes uh me not uh not as exciting uh but but if i'm being realistic i, I sign players for medium to long term obviously i think that Gravin birch has the, the the best chance of starting um for the new people i brought in aside from michele but um yeah so, so it would be something where you got to put play people somewhere and if we're playing a four two three one again which i assume that we're going to try to build on this would is what I would anticipate. Obviously, Saka and Pepe can switch wings depending on what's happening there. But I would anticipate that this is probably what it would look like. And then there would be a bunch of people bitching in the Twitter comments about how you can't why'd you buy all these great young players if you're not going to start them and blah blah blah. But anyway, I think that I think this is realistic based on the age and profile of the players brought in and with Grav and Birch uh, nipping at heels to get in um, over a Basuma or party. I love it. This is Harry's eleven. So. Pretty much the same except for Trippier at right back instead of Mukele, Thomas, and Basuma. I'm loving that. Basuma propaganda all day, every day. Team Basuma, we're here. We are here. Saka, Odegar, you have to get him on loan. So yeah, I said get him on loan. You probably don't have him, but we'll let it slide. Grealish and Aubameyang. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, essentially, this this position here is probably a Smith throw. But um, yeah, it's pretty much the same except for Grealish is in there. Um, I'm so glad that we all have have this right here. I'm, I'm loving it. And then um, we have George's 11. So George has pretty much the same back four slash back five with Baku, who you've really sold me on. I think the guy is class. I really like him a lot. Uh, Thomas and Basuma in that midfield, Grealish, ESR, Saka, and Aubameyang. So pretty much all the same. So you guys could vote for whoever you want. But um, yeah, I love it. 
All right, you guys, we need to talk. We need to talk. We have a huge conversation to have. Do we have a problem at center forward? Do we have an issue? We all had a bombing there, but do we do we think that is a bombing? Does a bombing just need some rest and just need to come back next season fresh and ready to play, or can we kiss goodbye the bombing that's going to score twenty five to thirty goals a season? Because I'm not sure if in that position, the way that we use center forward, we're going to get that out of him. And if we're not getting those twenty five to thirty goals. Is it worth having him out there if he's not really beneficial to us in build-up? So I'm going to let Harry go first on that one. Well, I mean, I think you guys have a problem because I've signed Patrick Bamford. So if Bamford comes in, <laughs> I've got, I've got Patrick Bamford doing bits. No, listen, I think I think it's really hard because I was hoping Aubameyang with no pressure leading the line in these past couple of games. You know, we just score a couple of goals for his confidence. And he looked pretty flat. I don't think he was particularly bad against Brighton. I think there was a few times when you know he linked up relatively well, a few flicks which didn't come off. But I don't think he was bad. But I just get a subdued vibe from him, um, an extreme lack of confidence. And as we've seen with Aubameyang, uh, just his personality, you know, he's all about confidence. So I think it's really interesting. Um, I feel like if an offer came in, uh, we would consider it. But... There's been so many good moments with Aubameyang, so much consistent scoring that you don't want to think it can't come back. But it's almost in such a distant memory. It feels like such a long time ago that he really scored and, and played well consistently. And his numbers this season aren't bad, but, you know, there's been... A, sometimes I look at strikers' numbers in how many games they don't score because... Sometimes you can score a cluster here and a hat trick here, and and you know, and your number suddenly rise. But what about all those games when you haven't scored a goal, when you haven't contributed? And there's been a lot of them from Aubameyang this season. I really like Aubameyang, love him as a person, but it's hard to dispel the notion that once he's got that pay rise, his foot's come off the gas. It's hard to think anything differently because you know, essentially, it has. And the same with Willian. You know, good numbers at Chelsea this season gets a big contract just doesn't have doesn't have the desire or the attitude. So I think it's a really interesting question, Jess. I don't know what the answer is. We have Martinelli there. Uh, we have Balogun, obviously, in the fold. So, you know, we can't go into next season without an Aubameyang or without a striker of that experience. Um, I don't think Lacazette is the answer either. Uh, but who knows? If we get a Grealish and we get Basuma and everything else is ticking behind Aubameyang, maybe a strong start to the season and everything works for us. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. George, what do you think? I think we should substitute that with a midfield problem. Um, I actually think center forward is the last thing on our list that's a problem right now. I think we have a very dysfunctional midfield. Um, if you look at, um, A, the games that Thomas Party has actually played, and also what we lack in midfield, really, uh, we lacked four months without a reference number 10. Um, with, with ESR, even Odegaard as an option. And that's kind of seen the bookmark of the, our two different seasons. It, it, I don't think that center forward in itself is a problem. When I look at Aubameyang, it's tough for me because... Uh, I see a player who has had his worst season in seven years, and I want to make that clear, his worst in seven. All the other six years of actual evidence and data has him above 18 league goals a season. And even now in this really bad, poor season, we have 10 league goals. So when I'm comparing him to a Lacazette, who's never achieved more than 15 league goals, non-penalties, kind of more than two seasons, um, 
I struggle to then take a hit on a player who's done it for six years at other clubs. Now, no doubt he's had a bad season. I'm not defending the season that he's had, but to say that it's a trend is very hard for me to accept when I have six years of 20 league goals a season um, in Europe and in other teams and in our team doing it. Um, in addition, I love Balogun. Um, I, I kind of talked about him in, in kind of other posts and other pods. I think he is going to be a real factor in adding some really big goal threat for us um, going forward next season. He is ready for the league. I hear a lot of questions. Is he physically ready enough? Um, absolutely. One of this guy's main superpowers is pinning center backs from behind. This is one of his strengths. This is what he does. Um, so if you're looking at a Lacazette upgrade, and I do call that an upgrade on purpose because I see him as a killer. I look at then Martinelli. We haven't seen him properly integrated into the 11 yet. You're missing at least 10 league goals there. So if I'm searching for goals and just pure output, and I have a collection of Balogun, Martinelli, and Aubameyang, who historically, by the way, has done 20 league goals a season. I'm not looking at an outlier season, but there's enough goals there. So I'm asking the question, though, do I have a midfield to support that striker? I don't think we've had that for years, nigh on a decade. So I'm looking at us having a midfield problem, a very stark one. And so I'm, I'm addressing that really this summer. And uh, I think next season, when you have a midfield that's far more functional, balance is key. I think we've seen this in the last couple of games. Um, I, I really think output and team synergy, it's not as though you buy a player and you say, oh, his league output was 10 goals. I'm going to expect that in this team now. No, you have to think about what, what is the team lacking in terms of midfield or their synergy, and then see if that number can be replicated in your team. So, I think for, for Aubameyang, it's, it's a creation issue, right? So for first of all, he's been injured, and he's basically not been injured any other time in his career. So he's, he's carried a couple knocks, and he had the, I mean, malaria, which is like <laughs> crazy. Like you don't even want to get into like – the toll that just strangely the toll that taking that playing football and, and that continent can take on you because they showed pictures of, of kind of qualifications and you got guys missing like flights being canceled and they're flying commercial flights and sleeping on floors and everything. It's, it's a, it's a different kettle of, it's a different kind of kettle of fish there, but he's played not even 30 games, 2,300 minutes, which is certainly less. You, you'd expect him to play like 3000 to the 3,500 minutes. Um, with Aubameyang, if he's starting every single game at center forward, I'm going to be that XG a-hole again because he scored 10 league goals on 10.6 um, XG in the league. He's he's not playing as much, and he's we because he is a purely a finisher, he is going to suffer the most when we have ball progression and chance creation issues, right? So he's not Pepe who's going to hit a purple patch and dance past eight people and just smack it in the corner or five-hole Lewis dunk on a disguised shot. That's not who he is. But what he is incredibly good at in a functioning offense, and even in a semi-functioning offense and offensive setup, is getting quality scoring chances and, and finishing around XG on high chance create on high chance numbers, right? And unless it's a phys in my opinion, unless it's a physical clip, which you can't really predict when that happens, right? That's we're seeing it less and less. We're seeing center forward specifically playing at really high levels at 32, 33, 34, even 35 now. So Lockdown's like 40 and he's still contributing at a reasonable level in a step down league. Like if, if I keep seeing these XG numbers relatively matching, there's, there's nothing stopping me and saying, if, if we have a coherent functional team that can progress the ball and get the ball to him, he's going to go about one for one. If we can put him in positions to get 20 XG, he's going to score 20 goals period. Mm. And, and the only thing that's stopping him from doing that is one, if he completely loses interest or two, he 
hits a physical cliff or somebody come three, somebody comes up behind him is better and does more of what Arteta wants to do. And that leads to more goals, but we're contractually committed to this person. And I'm not seeing a massive physical cliff happening. I'm seeing a, like, like even for like the league looking at, there's very few players that scored more than 15 or 16 goals this year. And a lot of those players that scored the high goal tallies are, are scoring an awful lot of penalties. Or we're talking, I mean, eight penalties, six penalties, seven penalties among some of these top goal scorers. It was a time, this was a year where there aren't three guys scoring 30, 25 league goals. This isn't like, like Germany that had like three strikers that scored over 30 goals this year. And Lewandowski that scored 41. That's just not what the premier league was this year. It, mm-hmm. And it's, it's all, it's, it's not as fun and it's not as flashy, but I think it was, it was a weird league situation, a weird personal situation, some injuries, some illness and uh, some, some dysfunctional team that, that means that the point to your spear looks a little bit more blunt than it would otherwise. There's but, an I mean, output crisis, too, in the Premier League. Like, if you go through some of the top superstars, who has been hitting their mad um, seasons in terms of, you know, your Salah? Like, when you're looking at the golden boot, and I think I talked about this last time, there's actually been an output little bit of a crisis in this isolated season. Um, mm-hmm. If Aubameyang's not making the runs, I get worried. I don't really worry about his physical state because he's a very leggy sprinter. He's never been somebody mm-hmm. who hasn't taken his fitness um, not seriously. He's always topped the charts, topped the sprints. He's a very fit guy, um, and that doesn't you know go poorly with age. I think he'll always be that leggy sprinter over five yards. Yep. Um, if he doesn't yep. make the runs, I fear. It's it's truly the only the only guys that are in the top ten that don't have a or, or over fifteen goals. So there's only seven players that scored fifteen or more goals. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are wide forwards too, which is a little bit difficult or to har- harder than normal. So you have like Salah, Fernand, uh, Bruno Fernandez, uh, Son. Those are all guys that scored in the top ten. I mean, it's really Calvert Lewin, Son, and Bamford that don't score a lot of penalties up there. And and that's yeah. people want to say that's in a that's a comp, but, but I mean that's those are not open play goals. And if we're talking about center forwards, like. I mean, Ollie Watkins had 13 open play goals, which is more than like by far. It's like double, almost double what Jamie Vardy had for open play goals this year. So like, yeah. I, I don't know. We, we have, I think we have to go and square it with what the rest of the league is doing too before we come down too hard on Aubameyang who, who it's been didn't too play many the minutes. Too many things have happened, you know, and yeah. it's just, it's such a, it's an outlier season for him and for the league in general. So for me, it's more about, if we can get another midfielder in there that can be a part of the midfield battle with, with Thomas, then we can retain the ball a lot more and create more chances that way. I think we lose the midfield battle too much. That's, that's a big issue for me. And then when we do that, we can't recycle the ball quick enough so that we can create more chances. So if you have somebody like Basuma in there, you naturally will get more chances because they can keep the ball in the opposition's half. We play too much in our half. We don't play enough in their half. And then it's it's about the three behind Aubameyang. What are they doing? If the two on the outside are creator scores, then you create more chances and you score more goals. You take some of the burden off of Aubameyang. They can't just be assisters. They can't just be that. They need to score goals and chip in as well. So I think if you have somebody like Pepe who's coming into form with somebody like a Jack Grealish or a Buendia, somebody like that that can score goals as well, It'll help, but it's too, it's too, like, there's not enough evidence for me that Aubameyang has completely fallen off a cliff. And let's be real. If we only have a little bit of money, I think we need to address that midfield. We, we really, really do. Like, you know, so 
just figure out yeah, a way I, to, to get Aubameyang scoring, really. Yeah, no, listen, I agree. I'm certainly not writing Aubameyang off and I've, I've backed him all season to come good. But, you know, one thing we haven't spoke about is his desire, his attitude, his application. And malaria aside, personal issues aside, which I know it's quite hard to separate those things. You know, in these past three games when he's been fit, I don't see that by it. And those players that we mentioned in their late 30s that go on and score those, you know, those goals consistently, they have by it. They have still Suarez, Aguero, Abramovich, you know, they're mean strikers. You know, they'll get stuck in if they need to. And I know Aubameyang's never been about that. And I'm not on the whole narrative, oh, you know, he's not a captain, he's not vocal enough. I, I don't mind that. But then leading your, in your work rate and your, and your desire on the pitch. And regardless of XG and how many goals he scored previously six seasons, this year, he's looked less motivated. And I, I don't think that's unfair to say that. Are there reasons for it? Possibly so. But over the past four or five games, I haven't seen enough you know, from him. I just haven't seen enough endeavour and, and aggression. And I mentioned this a, a few months back. He's, he's the type of striker that if the ball is running along the byline or going out of play and a centre-half comes across the shoulder barge him out of play, Aubameyang steps off. The only time he didn't do that was when John Stones did it to him and John Stones kind of bodied him and Aubameyang felt a little bit embarrassed. And, and I, I just feel like he could definitely go on next season and score a lot of goals. But if he doesn't, he needs to up those other aspects of his game to make it more tolerable. Because when you're a team who is borderline good, but also borderline shit, one thing you have to have is a bit of bite about you, a bit of work rate about you. And it might not be in your personality, it might not be in your nature, but you have to remember, this is the Premier League. And sometimes, you know, being a being an arsehole will, will get you quite far. So I think we just need to see a big change in attitude from him and application. The yeah. only thing maybe That's I want to just say in, in, in defense of it too, again, I, I have a tough time because I really love Aubameyang and I look at last year, okay, and I felt like this team hasn't had the tools for many seasons. And so when I look, I understand maybe he hasn't shown the desire this season, but actually when I look back across his career, when he has not been happy, he hasn't played well. Um, and, and the key is I think you need a happy Aubameyang in order to see a great output. And he will always score goals, in my opinion. I think when you looked at last year and you were looking at who was saving us, who was ultimately, while I didn't see massive running, I saw crucial goals in semifinals and in finals. And so I see a guy that can do it. Um, has he done it this season? No, I agree. That's an issue. But again, I come back to the idea, is this a trend line or is this an outlier? Is this a data point or a trend? So... For sure. That's that's 100% fair. You guys go ahead and get your questions in. Um, we'll do about 10 good minutes of questions uh, before we get out of here. But um, I think this is a good question. Jonas has been trying to get this one in. Jonas, thank you so much for your question. What if we got Grealish, but this meant we could not upgrade on Chambers? So essentially, would you take Jack Grealish, even if that meant that we would have to play with Cedric and Chambers as our right back options? Yes. Yep. Harry, did you hear the question? Are you involved? I've just, I've just read it. Sorry, I had to get my laptop charger. <laughs> um, I uh, what if we got Grealish for this? Yeah, I like Adam Chambers. I think yeah. uh, I think he's criminally underrated on the ball. I think um, he he seems to have improved his pace, or he just knows not to get too tight to certain players, so he's not left exposed. I think he's good in the air. Um, obviously, his versatility is really important, and I don't want to go back too far. And I'm certainly not undermining our previous you know, legendary fullbacks. But sometimes it's okay just to be a, a solid player. You know, Lee Dixon was a very, very solid right back. Wasn't world class, 
you know, didn't get a lot of caps for England. Not so, I'm not comparing Cadman Chambers and Lee Dixon before anyone shoots me. But sometimes it's good just to have a solid right back. They don't have to be absolutely outrageous, just solid, good personality, clearly loves the club, got a good relationship with Rob Holding. Uh, yeah, I mean, at the minute, he's done really well. So I would keep Cadman Chambers. It, it You're strikes, Montreal. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's, and listen, it strikes, we need yeah, more Montreal's. We need more Montreal's. Yeah. It strikes me that he has a good natural tactical balance with what Kieran Tierney wants to do and how we want to overload on the left side. And that's 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 noteworthy too, in addition to and that's and that's the benefit of establishing a system and a formation and and repeatable patterns because you can identify players that would be undervalued otherwise that you can use to their best ability and, and, and kind of pull out high level performances because of what you're asking them to do. And, and right now what Chambers does is he's asked to judiciously marshal the right side with the safety first and technical approach first, but he's still being called upon to make very strong delivery and decisive delivery out of the box and maybe past even being a little bit quicker than we thought he was and past um, being more fit than we figured that he might be is his delivery has been outstanding, like noticeably, like eye-catchingly very, very good. And his ability to do that all of a sudden – opens up that right back position that's just wouldn't be there otherwise. And and again, also when we're talking about minutes played and everything too, he, he's looked better as the year has gone. So more minutes and, and more time in that position has to be doing some specific things that he already does. Well, um, I mean, we could do worse than being stuck with chambers at right back. I mean, I, I, I don't doubt that he's not like our, my ideal right back uh, Bjorn uh, who we said, um, who's been very vocal in the chat box, which we appreciate. Uh, I think Bjorn is a Manchester United fan also, by the way. Yeah. There's that. Yes. I, I, do you, can you give us Juan Basaka? I love Juan Basaka, by the way. And can all I just his say this, though, really quick? Is that the idea that we're going to go into one window and address every single one of our issues is a myth. And for me, you're going to have at least one person, probably in, in every line of our team, that's not going to be your ideal person. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we can't improve. We're six points off of the top four. Six, hmm. isn't it? Yeah, six, no, it is, yeah. six and, points away from top four is not that. That's not Callum Chambers or not having Callum Chambers. That's having actual goal scorers in your team, having a solidified midfield. It's not Callum Chambers. So for me, it's I know we're still going to have some of these players in the team. So any Arsenal fan that thinks you're not going to see a Callum Chambers, you're not going to see a Rob Holding. These players will still exist within our squad, either in starting positions or squad positions. But it just depends on if we can address the positions that really make a difference. And for me, losing the midfield battle means you lose the game. So we need to look at the midfield. If you have three out of out of the people, like if you have Tierney, Gabrielle, and a center back that you like, and it's Callum Chambers, you're still fine. Manchester United made top four, top three, or whatever. And uh, they still play with McFred. They play with whatever those, the McTominay and Fred. Those are not Champions League level players, but they still play well because they have Bruno Fernandez. Sometimes it's just those type of players that make the difference and make up the the averages so that you can improve. I think you know? the key yeah, there that you've said so is really balance really in the team, right? So while they may not be quite the quality, at least you have a profile there that fits with the squad. We can debate quality later and maybe that's a certain step in a process, but right now we have severe holes in multiple areas of the team. And Callum Chambers right now isn't a hole. He's a reliable option. Can we do better? Absolutely. But he plugs a gap. 
Now, if I'm looking at other holes, Grealish fills a massive hole in the squad that isn't just left wing, isn't just experience, isn't just leadership, isn't just superstar. I could go on. There, In terms of what is the difference there, you, what you get with a Grealish is far more than maybe what you get with a Baku and an Awar who are two cheaper options, both for 60 million pounds as opposed to maybe an 80 million pound and doing what you want. So in that sense, if the argument is, do I go cheaper to fill more holes or do I get a bonafide superstar that I know will get me to the top back to where I need, which then allows us to get a better upgrade there. I'm all for that personally. This is a good question um, from Paul Bradley. Do you think we should get an attacking mid who operates centrally rather than Buendia? I think the question of centrality continues to come up because when you look at our heat maps and where we kind of operate on the pitch, we definitely avoid the center of the pitch like it's on fire. So for you guys, we're we're talking about Grealish, we're talking about Buendia. These players tend to drift out wide, maybe a little bit central, but they're not necessarily like tens, like a – like a Madison, you know, they're not really those types of players. Is is that a valid argument or are we okay with players that kind of play off of the wing and do their thing out there? I'm very okay with it. I, I actually see it as a philosophy that we're going to see going forward. When you look at Pep and when you look at these big teams, Liverpool, the successful teams, they attack down the wings. And this idea of a wing focus is very present in a lot of what we do. Uh, it's all about balance though, right? So if we have a Madison, it's about supporting that type of player and having maybe a pivot behind. If, if we do want to have a Jack Grealish with kind of creators on the wing, that's also about supporting overlapping fullbacks that can do it. Um, so it's all about your system, whatever you prefer. Um, I personally prefer a wing creator. I find it's more unpredictable than centrality because as an opposition coach, I know if I'm able to uh, close off that central option, I, I, typic- I typically kind of neuter the team essentially. So I do prefer having more variability on the wings and kind of uh, in and out specialists there because I think it leaves us more unpredictable, but to each their own. Does anybody else have thoughts or we can just move on to the next thing? I, I think Art's out of values versatility in what, and he's plays different players in different positions. And I think a, a general, and again, uh, Jesse mentioned that before, uh, Christopher Nkunku would be a wonderful signing for us too. Um, I, I think players like that is what he prefers, people who can step into different areas of the field and solve different problems as he, as we go forward. Um, and I don't think uh, – it, it just – I think that he would like to have a couple different players that can produce in that space behind the attackers and in front of your central midfield, and I think we will. <laughs> and we and we, we can see our, our wingers invert an awful lot and fill those spaces where they start – um, and, and what they're listed on the team sheet is guess less important in the areas that they play in. And I at least have some encouragement that we're starting to put talented, um, skillful, um, forward-thinking players in those areas that threaten more so in the last month of the season. I like it. Okay, you guys, we're going to end the stream there. I think that we, the big transfer show was a success. So you guys, Make sure you like this video and subscribe to the channel because we're going to have so many more of these shows coming up. But I want to thank you guys for being a part of this kind of two-parter, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, Kelly, can you let everybody know where they can find you? Uh, yep, you can find me on Twitter at South Metro AFC. Um, I'm also part of, with, with my buddies, we do late night uh, couple beer chats on Not Another um, Arsenal podcast, which is super fun, uh, and a, at NA Gooners podcast on Twitter. Uh, we should be back at it and, and be doing stuff more periodically this year. Um, we all have kids, and so we blame them for not being able to be on until super late. So, I love it, George. Where can they find you? 
Yep. Thanks, guys, again for having me on. You can find me at George VAFC or at the uh, Ball Over Passion podcast, where we have an interesting discussion on Mikel Arteta lined up. He's not divisive at all, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Thanks again. No problem. And Harry, where can I find you, or where can we all find you? Uh, it's DJ Harry on Twitter. Give me a follow. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Jess. Nice to talk about Arsenal, even though the season has finished. And look forward to speaking to you guys again soon. Yeah, 100%. You guys, um, I will see you tomorrow. We're going to do some sort of player rating, season player ratings for tomorrow, and obviously talk about transfer news every day at 3.30 p.m. UK time. You guys, I never get it right. It's just the first show of the day. You guys will get the Twitter notification and the YouTube notification if you guys are subscribed. So, yeah, I'll talk to you guys soon. And, yep, bye, guys. Oh.